1: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible
2: teacher, Tom Cantor. What difference does it make if an ailment is cured for the short amount of time that a person has to live if his sins are not forgiven, and he's facing an eternity of hell. The cure of a physical problem pales in the face of being judged for sins and being cast into hell. Anything short of a pardon of mercy for sins, that they've been forgiven, and the eternity hell has been canceled, is inconsiderable. And that's the reason why the Lord said to this man, really good news that's gonna make you happy in verse three. Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins are for, be forgiven thee. And the reason why the Lord did not address his paralysis at first is because the Lord sees the present problem in relation to the future unending problem and he addresses the more important future problem. That's the sight that you and I need to have when we see lost people. That the most important problem is their future problem, where am I going to spend eternity? And if that man were only told that his sins were forgiven and not healed, he's a winner. He's a winner that day, paralysis and all. But if that paralyzed man was only told that you've been healed from your paralysis and your sins were not forgiven, he's a loser. He's a loser that day. Hezekiah looked at the immediate problem when he was close to death with a sickness. And here's a man who was, the highest position in Israel, he was the king. And he says, You know what really robs me of my peace? Stop this sickness. Isaiah 38 17. Isaiah 38:17. Behold, for peace I had bitterness. But thou in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. For thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. There he is. Talking about the day of his great transformation, the day of Hezekiah's great transformation. And that was the day when God, in love, saved his soul. When God cast all the sins of Hezekiah behind his back. Now comes a problem. The first opposition, real strong opposition, is is now coming. It comes from a certain group of people in this large crowd: group of the scribes, group of the scribes. Ones who were scribes. They copied the scriptures. They were responsible for the scriptures. Their opposition is strong. They're accusing the Lord of blasphemy. The Lord is here fulfilling his mission, bringing the greatest benefit that he could to man, a pronouncement of the forgiveness of sins, and now the Lord's condemned by this group who's saying he's committing blasphemy. Now the basis for them accusing him of blasphemy is given to us in Mark 2, Mark 2, 6 and 7, parallel passage. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God? They had just heard that Jesus had forgiven sins and they reasoned no one can forgive sins except for God and they were 100% right. They were 100% correct. Only God forgives sins. As it says in Isaiah 43, 25, Isaiah 43, 25, God says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake, and will not remember thy sins. They were 100% right because God forgives sins. That's what Micah says, Micah seven eighteen. Micah seven eighteen. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity? They were 100% right because they remembered from Exodus, from Exodus 34, 6, that it's only God who forgives sins. When the Lord proclaimed his name to Moses, and it says in Exodus 34:6, the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's God. They were 100% right. Only God forgives sins. But they were 100% wrong in saying the Lord was guilty of blasphemy because they ignored a few other important scriptures, they ignored the scripture of Isaiah seven fourteen. Isaiah seven fourteen, where it was predicted the Lord Himself will give you a sign: behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. There would be a son born who would have the name, the unique name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. That son would be God who would be with us. They ignored the scripture in Isaiah 9, 6, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us, unto the Jewish people, unto us, a child is born unto us. A son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. His name will be called, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. The child that would be born would be called the mighty God because he was the mighty God. Those scribes reached the wrong conclusion because they did not reason this way. No one can forgive sins but God. Okay. First point. Jesus has just forgiven sins. Okay. Third point. Conclusion. Jesus must be God. That's what they missed. They missed the Isaiah seven fourteen son who is God with us. They missed the Isaiah 9-6 child who, was, who would be called the mighty God. And they came to the wrong conclusion because they started with a wrong premise. And their premise was, Jesus cannot be God. And that's what so many today start with. Jesus cannot be God, Jehovah Witnesses. Jesus cannot be God, most of the Jewish people. Jesus cannot be God. Wrong wrong understanding of who God is they thought this one meek lowly of heart humble never that's not who God is because they didn't know who God was and that's what God said in Jeremiah 422 Jeremiah 422 my people is foolish they have not known me hosea 54 hosea 54 they have not known the lord 1 Corinthians 1.21. 1 Corinthians 1.21. The world by wisdom knew not God. And if they came to a crowd and God was in the crowd, they wouldn't know him. They wouldn't recognize him. They didn't. They reasoned wrong because they concluded that Jesus cannot be God. They reasoned wrong when they accused the Lord of blasphemy. But all their reasoning was happening Privately. It says in verse 9, verse 3, chapter 9, verse 3. The scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemies. They were saying all of this just to themselves. They were saying all of this inside of them. They were saying all of this in their thoughts. And then verse 4, verse 4 says, Jesus knowing their thoughts. Jesus heard what they were saying to themselves. Jesus heard what they were saying inside of them. Jesus knew all their thoughts, which shows us. The Lord Jesus hears what we say inside ourselves. The Lord Jesus hears what we say to ourselves. The Lord Jesus knows all our thoughts, just like the Bible says in Hebrews 4.13. Hebrews 4.13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Just like David understood. David understood when he wrote Psalm 139.2. Psalm 139.2. Thou understandest my thought afar off. So in response to their thoughts, in response to the thoughts of these scribes, the Lord condemned them in verse 4 when he said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? Now that shows us, and the application to us, it shows us what we should be confessing as sin to the Lord Jesus: our thoughts, as it says in Proverbs 24:9. Proverbs 24:9: "The thought of foolishness is sin." Deuteronomy 15:9. Deuteronomy 15:9: Moses said, "Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart." It was the thoughts that God talked about when he condemned the world to die by a flood in Genesis 6, 5. Genesis 6, 5, the law saw the Lord and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And because of that, he said, got to go. Start over. Matthew 5, 28, Matthew 5, 28. I say unto you, whosoever... Looketh on a woman to lust after her. That's, of course, my thoughts. Hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Evil thoughts are sin, and they need to be forgiven as wrong thoughts. And not only the evil thoughts are sinful, evil thoughts make a person dirty in their soul. Which is why we have this precious verse in Revelation 1, five. Revelation 1, five. Jesus Christ loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's why we have the, the great fountain opened in Zechariah 13.1, Zechariah 13.1, In that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. That fountain was both for sin and uncleanness. It's our, it's our thoughts that we need to confess to the Lord when it says in 1 John 1.9, 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That confession is both for forgiveness of sins and cleansing from sin. So when the scribes accused the Lord in their hearts of blasphemy, the game was on, the conflict had escalated. And this was the start of an opposition by the leaders that the Lord just had to endure through. He had to endure through, as it says in Hebrews 12:3. Hebrews 12:3. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Now, the Lord now gives a response to their thoughts, Matthew 9, 5, when he says, For whether is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk. But that ye may know, that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, then he saith to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thy house. So, as we said here, the main issue on the table is, Is Jesus God? That's the issue. The Lord Jesus has done what only God can do, forgive sins. And with that act, he proclaimed that he is God and the scribes knew it. That's the issue. Is Jesus God? Is Jesus the great God who proclaimed himself to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3.14, Exodus 3.14, with the name I am? That's what he did. Because The issue here is that no one can be saved and go to heaven unless they believe that Jesus is the great I am of Exodus 3.14. That's what he said in John 8.24, John 8.24. I said therefore unto you, you shall die in your sins if you believe not that I am, you shall die in your sins. That was, that is the central issue today of who Jesus is, is Jesus God. Now the Lord, as we saw here, has just done something that only God can do. He's just pronounced, proclaimed, commanded, sins be forgiven. Now the Lord has chosen to do something else that only God can do. Only God. In Exodus 15, 26, Exodus 15, 26, it is God who said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. So the Lord's gonna heal this paralyzed man, and when he does that, He's going to speak to those experts of the scriptures right out of Exodus 15, 26, the verse I just read, Exodus 15, 26, that only the Lord heals. As a matter of fact, the Lord is really speaking to these experts in the scriptures right out of Psalm 103, 3, Psalm 103, 3, which puts the two together of the forgiveness of this man's sins and the healing of this paralyzed man. When it says in Psalm 103, 3, that God is he who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. So the Lord has just forgiven the paralyzed man of all his sins. Now he's gonna, gonna heal this paralyzed man. And in the same way that the Lord commanded the sins be forgiven of the paralyzed man, now the Lord is going to command the healing of the paralyzed man with just one word. And we can imagine the Lord in verse 2 as he pointed to the man and said, thy sins be forgiven. And now in verse six, we can imagine him also pointing to the, to the paralyzed man and commanding again, arise. And the result is, verse seven, he arose, departed to his house. Now the effect of the, the first command that Jesus gave him, verse two, forgiven, no one could see that. Stribes couldn't see that. No one could see it. Who can see if his sins are forgiven or not? Can't see that. Right? But the effect of the second command arise was obvious. Seen by all. The scribes saw this paralyzed man healed by the command of Jesus. And by extension, they should have concluded same person commanded sins forgiven, must be sins forgiven. So in order to appeal to their reason for them to be able to see that Jesus was God, in order to lead them to bow their knees as dirty, rotten sinners and come to Jesus to save them from their sins. We see the Lord really wants this healing to be dramatic to them. He's up in the drama here for those scribes so they could see this is a complete healing of the paralyzed man. And this is how the Lord made that healing so dramatic. Now, the scene again Mark 2 3. Mark 2 3. They come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. So again, the bed of the paralyzed man is attached by four ropes, four friends, each one holding a rope, lowering them down. Now, the Lord could have just said to the paralyzed man what he, what he was implying he was going to say in verse 5, arise and walk. So it says in verse 5, if I say to the man, arise and walk. But he wanted to increase the drama here. So for everyone, in fact, everyone's probably expecting him in verse, from verse 5 to say arise and walk. But he's using the healing of this paralyzed man to drive a point. The point is Jesus is God. So to step it up a notch, he doesn't say what he said in verse 5. He doesn't say, arise and walk. It would be the natural thing for the Lord to have done. And then the Lord could have looked up and say, hey, you guys, as soon as he gets up, bed up, carry it home for him. Instead, in essence, he's looking up there and he's saying to the guys, drop your ropes. The guys up there are saying, Drop our ropes. How are we going to get the bed back? Lord means drop the ropes. Because he didn't say in verse 5, arise and walk. He said in verse 6, arise, take up thy bed, you former paralyzed man, and go unto thy house. And the paralyzed man didn't say, take up my bed? I haven't gotten up in years. My muscles have deteriorated. I'm not sure I can even get up, much less carry this heavy bed anywhere. And that's what everybody in the room was thinking, but the Lord was stepping up the drama here. The paralyzed man, is, he, he, he was able to do that because only God could do that double miracle, healing him and giving his muscles strength back to pick it up because Jesus was God. Now, we read their response of the people in verse 8 where it says, they saw the miracle. Verse 8 says, When the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power to men. That's a very interesting statement because, in that, there are two responses from the crowd. Their first response was, they marveled. Their second response was, they glorified God. Actually, those are two of three responses, the third response they didn't have, that are possible when anyone sees a miracle of the Lord. And we live in a world of miracles, the functioning of our bodies is a miracle. The growth of those trees is a miracle. We're surrounded by the Lord's miracles, and there are three levels of response to seeing the Lord's miracle. The first level of response is in the word, in verse eight, marveled. That's the wow response. That's amazing response. That's fantastic. That's the first level of response. The second level of response is to see a miracle and say, how good is God? How great is God. That's seen in verse eight where it says they glorify God. That's to be thankful. That's to praise the Lord. As in, I praise you God for being so good to have done this miracle. That's level two. But now there's a third level response, which the crowd is not saved, the crowd did. This is the learning response. This is the response of from this what I see, I learn and understand about the unseen. This is, that miracle is a parable that teaches me. This is the third level of response. It's receiving instruction from a spiritual truth, which the Gospels are full of, as the Lord was saying. You can see the change in the sky, but you can't discern the times. Full of It's to get the spiritual truth as a benefit from a miracle. For example... In this miracle here, of the healing of the paralyzed man, they could have said, he healed a totally disabled, paralyzed man. Hmm. My sin has made me totally disabled and paralyzed in my love for God or ability to do good. He can heal my spiritual paralysis. For example... In the feeding of the 5,000, the multiplying of a few loaves and few fishes to feed 5,000, the first level is, wow, a small amount fed 5,000. The second level is, oh, Lord, you fed the hungry people. You're so caring. I praise you for being so loving and caring. But the third level is to see from the feeding of those 5,000 with so little, I see the bread and the fishes as heavenly nourishment for my soul. And I learned from that miracle how you can feed my soul with so little, so, so little I read from the word of God and it feeds me. We live in a world of God's creations, of God's creations all around us, miracle, miraculous creations. We live in a museum. We're like we're in a museum, a museum called the like Unto's, the Museum of like unto's. Just think of what it would be like if you came to a museum of the like unto's, and when you got to the door of the museum, you were given a piece of paper and it had all the displays on there in the museum, and a blank spot by each display. And then you were told, your job is to go through the museum and write down what you learn from each one of the displays. That's what we are. We are in a museum of like unto's, and everything that we see in this museum of miracles is designed to teach us. The passage now ends in verse 8 with an observation of the man, which is in verse 8, where it says that God has given such power unto men. That was one unmistakable fact that they saw there, and that was that Jesus was a hundred percent man. He had just proved that he was a hundred percent God. They saw him as a hundred percent God, and that was the teaching that came across there. He is a hundred percent God, and he is a hundred percent man, both God and man at the same time. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus who healed this paralyzed man in such a dramatic way. Thank you for his love for the scribes. Thank you for his love for us. Thank you for his love for every lost, hell-bound sinner that he might, desires with all of his heart, to say, thy sins be forgiven thee. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.